are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. We are going to uh, conclude our series tonight on the pursuit of holiness, and we have tried to make it clear that holiness is a big deal in Scripture. And tonight, hopefully, I will uh, be able to again demonstrate that. But I know in no way am I exhausting this subject, and, and so uh, I understand that tonight. But I believe that the Lord has helped us to find some really key principles as it pertains to uh, the idea of holiness and what God has planned for us. Hebrews chapter 12, 14 is our passage, and I encourage you to listen to the previous lessons if you uh, have not yet had an opportunity to. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And so we understand that holiness comes from and only comes from God. God is holy. And any attempt that we make to be holy apart from God will be worthless and of no value. We identified three characteristics about God's, of God's holiness. God's holiness is seen, number one, in his sovereignty, that he alone is God. Number two, we recognize that God's holiness is seen in his faithfulness, his ability to keep his word. And then finally, we realize that God's holiness is seen in his love, that he would love us in spite of our own sin and our own failure. And in regard to that, the second major principle that we talked about was that while God is holy, we are not holy. Without God, we are not holy. And we discussed that uh, we should understand and keep in mind that we are not holy. And it is this understanding that allows us to have the opportunity to become holy or perfect, mature, and complete. And the scripture in Isaiah tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our ability to be holy is nothing apart from God. But while we realize that God is holy and we are not holy, there's a a big uh, opportunity that we have, and that comes from God, and we are invited to be holy. We are invited to be holy. And we looked at Moses, the life of Moses, and recognized that while Moses was not holy, God still invited him to the process to be holy. It was a miraculous invitation, a a major opportunity that Moses had to experience the holiness of God. And so in that, we looked at that holiness only is achieved When we humble ourselves to a holy God, we are made holy through humility. We have to remove the things in our life that are prideful, that are carnal, and we must humble ourselves as Moses did. He took off the sandals of his shoes where God had said, you are standing on holy ground. God invited him to it, but Moses had to humble himself to God's plan. 
And humbling ourselves to God includes humbling ourselves to God's identity for our life. And we talked about that last week, that our surrender to God comes when we surrender our identity to God. When we pursue pursue holiness, we humble and surrender our carnal identity to take on the identity of a holy God. We wear the identity of a holy God. And it's not just that we see God as holy and us as unholy, but we decide and we are able to, through humility, to wear the identity that God has for us. And so we realize God wants to transform us by and for him. He wants to transform our lives, not just leave us in the condition that we were in our sin. God's whole invitation to holiness is an invitation that seeks to recalibrate our identity to a place that finds its salvation and finds its foundation in a God who is the creator and knows us best. Paul told the church in Corinthians that image does matter and that identity does matter. So much so in 1 Corinthians that he said, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we also should bear the image of the heavenly man. The word image is the likeness. We are to bear the likeness of the heavenly man. And just as we all bear the image of humanity in how we look, how we think, and how we act, we too are also to bear the image of the heavenly man, a holy God. So we talked about identity, and specifically, we talked about God's desire to give us an identity, and he uh, gives us some specific things to consider as it pertains to our identity. We acknowledge four areas, one being uh, God's call to gender distinction, that God calls us to be distinct as male and female. God calls us to an identity of covering. When man sinned, God did not leave them to cover themselves. God gave them a covering, and you can find this idea in this identity of covering throughout the New Testament. And finally, we talked about desires, that there's an identity of desires that God wants to give us. God wants to give us his desires and ultimately to live our lives with a conduct that represents the identity of God. And so tonight, I want to talk about the process of holiness. If God is calling us, if God is inviting us to be holy in our gender and in our covering and in our desires and conduct, how can we live a holy life and what does that look like? The first thing I want to say is that holiness in our lives is a process. It is a process. It takes time. Maturity takes time. It's like a a child who or an infant that's born into the world. How many know it takes time for them to mature? Takes quite a bit of time and quite a bit of effort. And some aspects of our holy life take time. And we acknowledge that. There's two elements of the process that I want you to consider tonight in being holy. First, we are made holy 
by a holy God when we receive the Holy Spirit. There is an infusion of holiness in us when we receive his spirit. It's a holy spirit. I would submit tonight that this is the seeds of holiness. And uh, in the first letter to the church in Corinth, Paul said this from the second verse of the first letter to this church. He said, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Everyone say sanctified. Sanctified. It means made holy or set apart, that you and I are made holy immediately when we receive the Holy Spirit. There's a holiness aspect to what happens in our life. It would be impossible for God to dwell in unholiness. So God shows up and makes us holy in the inward man. And it's the beginning stages of the ultimate maturity in holiness that God intends. The true power of God's holiness in our life is realized when we allow God's holiness to bear fruit in our life. It's allowing this seed or the beginning of what God has started in you and I at new birth to fully mature. Can I tell us tonight that in a Pentecostal church, an apostolic church who believes in the doctrine of the new birth, the death, burial, and resurrection, repentance, baptism, Holy Spirit, that while this is an emphasis in our church, a very important emphasis in our church, I want to say that when somebody receives a baptism certificate or a Holy Spirit certificate that they've received that, that is not a diploma or a degree. It is a birth certificate. It's the beginning of a desire by God to produce a holy person in all their conduct. And so we celebrate baptisms. We celebrate the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's important for us to understand that that is a birth certificate and not a diploma or a degree. And so we're called to mature as saints. You, you know the, the reference probably in the New Testament where Paul tells them, you, you, you're, you need to mature a little bit. I can't feed you anything past milk. I want to give you steak and, and potatoes, but I can't because you're, you're not maturing. God calls us to grow and mature. And so we must be willing to mature. So Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians, he says this, therefore having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let holiness do a work in your life. Let that holy God who decided to reside in an unholy person, let him do a work in you. Because the reality is fruit is visible. And God wants us to produce holiness 
like fruit is produced on a tree. The Bible likens the experience of receiving the Holy Spirit to the planting of seed. 1 Peter 1, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. We are born again. This is the seed that God begins in us to produce the fruit of holiness. And so as the influence of the Spirit increases in the heart of a believer, the Spirit's own holiness is increasingly expressed in the believer's life. Let me say that again. As the influence of the Spirit increases in the heart of a believer, the Spirit's own holiness is increasingly expressed in the believer's life. As you mature in Christ, your life should express the holiness, the growing holiness of God in your life. And so Romans 6.22, but now having been set free from sin, anybody been set free from sin? And having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. The fruit of holiness. Now, we know the fruit of a sinful life is destructive. It's destructive to us. It's destructive to our relationships. And most importantly, it's destructive to our relationship with God. But a life of surrender to the sovereignty, the faithfulness, and love of God will produce the power of God that can be felt and experienced by ourselves and others. Let me use Scripture here tonight. We're going to walk through a series of passages, and I encourage you to pull out your Bible and underline some passages tonight. We're going to look at mainly... Scriptures in the New Testament, specifically in the epistles. The epistles were written, the letters were written to who? Those who had repented, been baptized, and filled with the Spirit. Paul is writing to people to help them mature in Christ. So I want us to take an honest look at what Paul is writing And how can we apply it to our life? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to what? What does the flesh produce? Lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man. What does it do? What is the old man? Which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is making it clear 
that, that the way of the sinner is not how a person who has been blood-bought, has been sanctified and set apart, should conduct their lives. He makes it very specific that the work of Jesus Christ should not just be some mental ascent, but it should affect the conduct, the very conduct of our life. He says all this. He says in true righteousness and holiness, and then the next verse says, Therefore, because of this, putting away lying, let each one speak truth. Be angry and sin not. Don't give place to the devil. Don't steal. And he goes on to give them very specific attributes about their conduct. And so we see the emphasis of living a holy life, letting our conduct reflect a holy God. Now, we talk about this in assimilation, but I want to bring it back to us just a quick remembrance that there are three teachers of holiness that we find, three teachers of holiness. The first is the Word of God. How do I know how to conduct my life? The first is the Word of God. The Bible gives us some very clear things that we are to do, some things we shouldn't do, and those are clear in Scripture. The second is the Spirit of God. We have a holy God that's residing in our life, and that holy God should have the ability to correct some things in our life that are very specific to us. It might not affect anybody else, but I would encourage you to listen to the whisper of the Spirit. Listen to the convictions of God. Even if no one else in the church has that conviction, God might be speaking to you about something specific He's trying to form in you. And so the Spirit of God should have reign in our conduct. And finally, there are some things that God allows those who are in leadership to help try to to direct, to bring some application to principles in Scripture. And so pastoral leadership and spiritual leaders, the Bible gives us a clear example of that throughout the New Testament. And Many times this, this is maybe more difficult than any to accept, and I get it. It's for good reason because people abuse their role, abuse their position. But I know just from experiencing Calvary and understanding the history that Calvary from its inception has attempted to bring principled application to the Word of God in regard to how we live. We're not just attempting to live a traditional life to say that we're apostolic by tradition. We're trying to say that we are apostolic because the apostles believed in some core elements of Scripture, and we believe that there are some core ways that we should live our life to see the full measure of God's power realized in our lives and in our community. And so... The Word of God, the Spirit of God, and spiritual leadership. So what areas should I seek to mature in as a believer? What's on the table? I would say what's not on the table. We are called to live holy, as the Scripture says, in all of our conduct. All of our conduct. Holiness begins in the heart with attitudes and thoughts and extends to every aspect of our life. Let me quickly look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident. So what does the flesh produce? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, 
lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Did anybody survive the list? Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul seems to be pretty clear about that. But he says there's a holy God that's living inside of you. And he says that holy God wants to produce something in you. The flesh is trying to produce its thing, but a holy God is producing holiness in you. What does holiness look like? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ, those who are Christ, who have experienced the power of the cross have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If Christ empowers us at the birth of our new life in Him, let us also walk in that same Spirit. Another way that it's said, another translation says, to walk in step with the Spirit, allowing the Spirit to guide our everyday life. And let us not become conceited. I think this verse may be the most important verse of all the verse I read. Unfortunately, I don't have time to get into it. But let us not become conceited. Two things. Let's not provoke one another. Let's not spend our time judging everybody else is holiness. Don't provoke. And don't envy one another. Don't envy somebody's liberty. Don't provoke and don't envy. Let us not become conceited. And so I want to quickly walk through some very specific things. We've, we've read some very powerful passages, but we realize that attitudes are vital to our ability to live holy. The essence of our holiness is to bear the fruit of the Spirit. We learn to forgive. We learn to be thankful. We learn not to let things offend us. That's part of your holiness, your maturing process. We put away hatred and malice and jealousies and covetousness and bitterness and pride and, and prejudice and vengeance, strife and discord. We're always pushing against those things because we want to strive to live holy. So our attitudes matter, our thoughts matter. The Bible talks about how we think, that we should think on things that are pure and true and noble and lovely, commendable. So we bring our thoughts under the obedience of Christ. We realize that we don't just let our thoughts go anywhere, but we bring them under the authority of Jesus Christ. That's part of living holy. Living an honest life, being a person of integrity. This includes lying and stealing and refusing to pay debts and extortion and cheating and we seek to be 
honest in all of our endeavors, our business endeavors, even when we could get by with it. We're honest. That's a part of maturing in Christ. We are to guard against lustful thoughts and actions. Sexuality and marriage is important to God. In a society where pornography is so easily available and sexual expression is so widely accepted, we must be aware of our propensity towards temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 6.18 says, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Sexuality matters to God. So how do we flee sexual immorality in this culture? We have to be wise. We have to realize the trips and the hang-ups in our world and in our own lives. I encourage you to use filters on your computer. Use accountability partners in your life. Avoid environments that cause you to trip. Avoid scenarios that set you up for failure. Can I give some pastoral advice? If you're in a dating relationship, you should create some accountability in your life. You probably shouldn't just be at someone's house who you're dating all alone with no accountability. And let me suggest even further, you probably shouldn't stay the night there. You're setting yourself up. You're setting yourself up. Don't give place to your flesh. So we strive for holiness. The Bible clearly and repeatedly tells us that sexual relationships are wholesome and important in marriage, but sinful outside of marriage. And marriage is designed to be a lifelong covenant of a man and a woman. Divorce is not God's plan But it's a result of human sin and it happens. But we realize the sanctity of marriage and what God is trying to reflect in marriage. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 30. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so God calls us to a pure life in our sexuality and in marriage. There's the sanctity of human life that comes into play in holiness. And so we avoid bloodshed. We avoid violence. And because God is sovereign, we should, I believe, refrain from abortions and the encouragement of them. Abortion and infanticide have always been the enemy's way of trying to sabotage God's plan, always. From Moses to Jesus, the killing of babies has been at the forefront of the enemy's plan to destroy God's plans. And so we rest on God's sovereignty. Not all situations are good or fun or something that we tried to have happen, but we trust the sovereignty of God. In our speech, we are 
to guard our speech. James chapter 1, 26, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. It's pretty strong language that James uses. We don't need all that, James. It'd be just fun to just let it rip sometimes and say it how you really feel. But we avoid not just cursing, but we avoid backbiting, slander, sowing discord, gossiping, obscene language. We seek to demonstrate God's holiness, God's faithfulness, and God's love in our speech, in our eyes, what we Allow into our eyes. Jesus said, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And so we guard ourselves against viewing and reading things that are sensual and vulgar and moral and saturated with violence. And this is really where the church technology in some ways has outpaced the church's ability to try to guard the people of God. It's impossible for the church to list every movie or every song or every technology app or device. We've really got to rely on the Spirit of God in a quest for holiness in our own life. And so God calls us to that. And so we, we strive for that. In our activities, the things that we do, we conduct our activities in a, a way that honors God. We bring glory to God in our activities. First Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from every form of evil. And so I think you have to weigh out. And again, everybody has to make this kind of decision in some ways, your amusement, your sense of entertainment. I think... Uh, the American way is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the pursuit of happiness in our culture is entertainment. It's a right that we have. My kids have a right to watch things. And if we don't let them watch, they're ready to call whatever child services on us. It's a right that we have. But I think we have to be wise as serpent, harmless as doves, and to prayerfully, wisely consider the impact of technology on our families and our lives. Stewardship of the body is found in Scripture. The body is the temple. We read that. And so we avoid things that harm or defile the body. We avoid things that cause intoxication or cause addiction cause intoxication or addiction. I think this is important for you to consider that while there are some who argue that there's nothing wrong with drinking alcohol and those kind of things, as long as it's in moderation, I, I really challenge that in our church because I, I just don't think it's wise to open yourself up to something that has the potential to intoxicate you, to cause you to lose your mind, and that causes addiction at such a high rate. That could be what you smoke, that could be what you inhale, what you sniff, what you drink, that 
I believe God calls us to be in our right mind, that if we're really going to impact this world, we should be in our right mind. And so we are good stewards of our body. There's no scientific evidence that says that alcohol, even in wine form, is good for the body. You, you, can, you can read it. They, they will try to push that, but they will tell you that the alcohol outdoes any advantage that the fruit of the vine is working on in your life and helping your body. And so I, I can't justify standing up here and telling a congregation of people who have been affected by the collateral of alcohol and drugs that it's not that big of a deal. I'm telling you, I believe it is a big deal. And I believe that you should be careful, be careful of the things that you consider lawful. As the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And so Paul, I think, is trying to help us, and he says, food's for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. This whole stewardship of the body. There's stewardship of resources, how we handle our money. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God cares about how we spend our money. Again, all of these aspects of holiness. Man, Tom is, did not warn us tonight to wear steel-toed boots. But I'm... All of these things, we're all wrestling with the flesh. We're all wrestling with areas in our life. But God is calling us to completeness, to maturity. And some of these things take time to grow in us, to grow habits or to grow desires in our life that are for the things of God. In our appearance, the appearance reflects the inner self both to God and to others. And we find scriptures that talk about appearance. First Timothy chapter 2 8 says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women, professing godliness with good works. And so we, we see here this principle of moderation, this principle of living in a way that is moderate, and modest. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, does not even nature teach itself, teach, does not nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him, but if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. And so we see these principles of gender distinction, of covering, of restraint in how we appear. We encourage believers to have their appearance reflect their gender. We encourage believers to wear clothing that reflects their gender. We encourage believers to cover themselves in, a, in public places in a manner that honors principles of decency, decency and non-sensuality. We encourage believers to represent themselves in humility, avoiding, as the scripture says, adornment that creates pride. And all of these things are 
holiness things that we live out to reflect a holy God. Finally, we talk about godly fellowship, the relationships that we're in. God cares about those. And sometimes we're in tension with those relationships, what relationships to have, what relationships not to have. Scripture tells us, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. I think you have to understand who's influencing who in your relationships, not to associate with people who are causing you to move towards the things of God, that you sometimes have to avoid relationships. And you seek, I think we should seek relationships that seek to please God. So why mess with all this? Why mess and pursue this living a holy life? I'm going to offer you three things. Holiness protects us. God knows our frame. Why would God ask us to be careful how we live, how we conduct our lives? Because God knows our frame. He knows our weakness. He knows our temptations. His path of holiness protects us physically. His path of holiness protects us mentally and emotionally. And of course, it protects us spiritually. God invites us on this road of holiness to protect us from our carnal, base nature. And he offers us the ability to live a holy life inwardly that is reflected in the fruit of the conduct of our life. It protects us. The second reason I would submit that we should live holy is to produce good works. Holiness produces and should produce good works. If holiness produces in you only to look down on others, then I would argue it's not probably holiness. Because real holiness produces good works. It produces love. Holiness should produce love. In a world of selfishness and hate, your holiness should produce love. It should produce joy in a world that is depressed and triggered. It should produce joy. And it should produce peace in a world that is anxious and fearful. Your holiness to God should produce good works. Let me add to Bishop Pasley the second statement. Not only is modesty the gift we give to others, but holiness is the gift we give to others. Holiness is the gift we give to others. It's my decision to submit myself to a holy God, to live with restraint in regards to my desires and conduct. Why? For others. So I live in a holy way as a gift to others. And finally, not only are we to, does holiness protect us, and not only does it produce good works, but I think ultimately holiness projects Christ. It projects Christ. It allows others to see Christ. It should allow others to find Christ. Matthew chapter 5, 16 Let your light 
so shine before men that they may see your good works. And if they see your good works, what will they do? They will glorify your Father which is in heaven. God's holiness in our life is to be lived out. And so live in a way that honors God's holiness. Live in a way that honors God's sovereignty. Does God really get the final say in our life? Live in a way that honors God's faithfulness, his ability to keep his word. Live in a way that honors God's love for humanity. As I said last Wednesday and Sunday, we've got to let his word win in our life. Humble yourself to the word of God. Humble yourself and submit yourself to the word of God because we are called to live holy. 1 Peter chapter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are a holy people. As I close tonight, a man went to a garbage dump to buy a bottle. He was looking for an old bottle, one that was used and discarded. The man had been given a unique, one-of-a-kind, priceless liquid that went on display, shined like the sun. This priceless Liquid had the ability to help anyone or anything it came in contact with, but it had to be seen. And if people could see it, they would want it. And once they wanted it, they too would have the opportunity to have it. So he searched, till finally he found it, a classic 1956 Coke bottle. It was filthy. It had been at the dump a long time, was grimy inside and out. But he chose it anyway. And When he went to check out, the cashier said that will be $10,000. The man thought that was a lot of money, but this wicked, this wicked, this liquid would be perfect inside of it. So he paid the cashier and left. When he got at home, he began earnestly cleaning the inside of the bottle, using little brushes to scrub it out. He ran warm water and soap inside until finally it was all cleaned out. He poured the liquid in, but soon realized that although the inside was clean and it contained the powerful liquid, it was not visible on the outside. And this simple illustration is a picture of the power of true holiness in our life. God's mercy separates us from the dump, and God's spirit sanctifies us on the inside. But God invites us to be holy and clean on the outside as well. And because God realizes that people see you before they see him. And so Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And I pray that we would submit ourselves, we would humble ourselves to a holy God, not so we can accuse other people of not being holy, but so that people can find the love of God 
that we found when we were in the dump. And so, as we conclude tonight with app time, I've got two questions you can answer. And they're going to take a minute to think of, to, to probably come up with an answer, but I want you to try. I want you to try to come up with an answer. In what ways have you matured most in your walk with God since you were born again? In what ways or way have you matured most in your walk with God since you were born again? In what way do you feel God is helping you to grow in the area of holiness? There's all kinds of things that we're trying to improve in our life, but what way is God trying to work on you? So I'm going to give you about four minutes, and I want you to talk amongst yourself. You've never looked more excited than you do right now. All right, why don't you stand tonight? Turn to somebody and say, I'm holy. Turn to somebody else and say, I'm holier than you. (laughs) Dr. James Littles uses John chapter 17. I won't read it for sake of time, but he's used this, and I think it's just a great picture of what God does in our life. But It's an invitation of holiness, the idea of the invitation that God would invite us. And he says it looks like this, that God calls us out of the dump. We're in a pit, we're in a mess, but God calls us out of that. And he sanctifies us, he cleans us up. And then he commissions us, prepares us. And then ultimately, what does he do? He sends us back into the dump, to be a light to those who are in darkness. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I want to pursue holiness. I want to pursue God's holiness in my life. I want to pursue the idea that God could be so bright in my life that people could see him in me. That they would not just interact with me and look at me and think, wow, he's an interesting guy. But there would be something that would happen that would say, wow, I see God in you. 
day I was meeting with somebody at Cracker Barrel, and, and before we ate, uh, we prayed. I didn't think anything of it. I usually try to pray before meals, usually. Sometimes Kristen just starts eating, and, uh, you know, it's just whatever. So, but I do try to pray before meals, and so after, it was a little while later, and our waitress came up, and she said, hey, I, I noticed that you were praying, and um, I have some things in my life that I need prayer about. Would you pray for, for me? And so I said, let's pray right now. So she's our waitress. We hold hands. We start praying. And I just prayed for the needs that she gave me, and that was it. And she said, you're going to make me cry. I'm going to start crying. And I said, well, it's all right. But our holiness is not meant for us to walk around being looked at as some good person, just good person, just because. But it's meant to impact people's lives. I don't pray in public so people notice me, but if they notice me, I'm okay with that. We were talking about sometimes people are afraid to live holy because they don't want to be ridiculed or embarrassed. They don't want to be embarrassed by what others might say. And the real impact of holiness is when you live your life for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. I feel the touch of the Lord. The Lord's calling us to holiness. What, what God's moving on us to do in 2020, I believe, has everything to do with our ability to live holy. God, I pray tonight for this great congregation, this church, Lord, who is dedicated to the things of God. God, we have a, a great legacy of holiness. We have a great, God, just history of, of striving to be holy. Lord, and there are some in this room who have, have a bad taste in their mouth when it comes to the term holiness. God, it's created division. It's created shame. It's been used as a bully stick, Lord, to beat them down. But Lord, your invitation of holy is not to beat us down or keep us from, God, living this life. It's meant to empower us to live free as you desire for us to be free, to bear your holiness, to wear, God, the, the conduct and the desires, God, in a way that honors you because you know what's best for us. You have created us, Lord. You've formed us, and we trust your sovereignty. We trust your faithfulness, and we trust the love that you have for us. I thank you, God, for your goodness and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.